Hey guys, you are listening to the eighth mentor session of the Side Project Accelerator with Emily Thompson. This was a great, great session where she gave a lot of useful tips, especially tips about starting out and building your audience and for how to nurture one-on-one relationships with your audience. Enjoy. We are here today for the last mentor session of the Side Project Accelerator with Emily Thompson. How's it going, Emily? It's going good. I'm so excited to be here. And thank you for joining us. Really nice to have you. Sagi and I are both big fans. We've been listening to Being Boss podcast for a long time. Um, so really awesome to have you. Thank you. Um, so I'd like to get started, if you don't mind, of just giving us a little bit of your background, telling everyone who's listening uh, and watching uh, basically who is Emily Thompson? Oh, I don't think we have enough time. <laughs> Multifaceted. No, so <clears throat> I started working for myself probably probably nine years ago now. I was pregnant, working a day job. My boss pissed me off, so I handed in my keys and left. It was a very big, joyous day. And um, and I have worked for myself ever since. So I sort of took some time to just sort of like chill and have the baby and those sorts of things. Um, but then I very quickly started, like I'm a maker. I just like to make things. Um, but I'm also an entrepreneur, so I like to make money at it. So um, I had owned a brick and mortar store previously and had sold it and then like, had my had my daughter and I started making jewelry just for fun, like Christmas gifts and those sorts of things. I've always done things like that. Um, and then I discovered Etsy and loved it. Um, so I had to start putting things on Etsy and I got uh, I became a part of that community and we were helping each other run our like crafting businesses, those sorts of things, um, or our like maker businesses and. Um, I had also taught myself to code websites when I was in high school, and it was just something that I just sort of dabbled in for fun as a complete and utter nerd. And um, about the time that like my Etsy like jewelry site was going really well, I was I mean it was becoming a full time job and like paying really well, like it was I was making it, and um, it felt really good to be doing that. Um, <clears throat> I also decided to launch my own website. So I wanted to get off of Etsy and into my own website because those Etsy fees were horrible. Um, and so I designed and developed my own website. And then I had my maker friends from Etsy coming to me wanting a website. Um, so I found myself taking on website projects because selling a website for a couple thousand dollars is a lot more enticing than selling a pair of earrings for like 30. <laughs> so, um, so I started doing websites for my maker friends, helping them get off of Etsy as well. Um, and so then the website thing just sort of became a business and my jewelry fell by the wayside. I still make some for like friends and family and things, but I don't sell it anymore. Um, so then it was websites. And so I've spent the last six years building websites for people who want to start online businesses. A lot of them were still makers, um, but also a lot of coaches and interior designers and those sorts of things. So I really dove into um, really how to build an online business across multiple different like kinds of businesses um, and have really like really found like some soul work, I think, in helping people do what they love by running an online business that allows them to live where they want and sell the way they want and make the things they want um, and work on their own terms. So that's kind of how I got here. It started with me getting pissed off at my boss and leaving a long time ago <laughs> and um, has turned into really being an expert at how online business works for like the creative entrepreneur crowd or those who want to start personal brands, um, sort of making 
not usual things, but still wanting to make them and sell them in the world. Very cool. Very cool. Okay, so now today you're running several projects, right? You're not. You're. You want to take us into that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So, <laughs> Ithy Shopography is my website business, um, and it was during that time, or during the time of like building that business, that I ran into Kathleen, um, and we started chatting often. This was doing websites. I started working with her. Um, she did branding for me. I did website for her. Um, I encouraged her to launch her e-courses and helped her plan out what that would look like. Um, so we started sort of working together on a lot of different things. Um, and that's when we decided, or about three years into it, into our relationship, we decided to um, do a podcast. And that was, it was a big magic moment for me. If you guys have read that book from Elizabeth Gilbert, um, it's like just one of those moments that made no sense to me, but I had this like epiphany that I needed to start a podcast and then it needed to be with Kathleen. And what book was that? Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Good Magic? Big Magic. Big Magic Magic Mm -hmm. by Elizabeth Gilbert. It's a really good one. Um, And it was a big magic moment that made no sense, but I sent Kathleen an email. I was like, hey, we're going to start a podcast. You in? (laughs) Um, And we had a couple conversations about it, and she said yes. Um, And so we started Being Boss. And the the idea for Being Boss was that it would would feed – we would use it as a marketing platform to feed clients into our respective businesses. So I had Indie Shopography where I did websites. She had Braid Creative with her sister where they did branding. Um, and we wanted to use it as a platform to feed clients into those two businesses. But then it turned into a business all on its own. Um, and we found ourselves wanting to do less websites and branding and more <laughs> podcasts and community building and those sorts of things. Um, so our roles have super transitioned over the past year and a half. And so now we're running our respective businesses, um, but also being boss together and also just some other little fun projects that come up along the way. Kathleen and I are both like super multi-passionate, uh, but we're also very good with our time. Like we know how to manage things and we know how to keep things um, relatively, relatively focused when it needs to be. Um, but yeah, so we're running a couple of projects now. Um, indie and Being Boss, Indie Shopography and Being Boss are my my two main focuses at the moment. Okay, cool. And we have a couple questions about how you manage your time and everything between all those projects. But before we get into those, I still want to understand the, the beginnings and, and how it worked out with Kathleen. So you guys decided to uh, build something together, but to funnel uh, the audience into your two separate businesses. You didn't decide to move to merge your businesses together at all, right? Right. Well, we've we've played with that idea plenty of times because we even before we started the podcast, we were doing client projects together. So I had um, mm-hmm. an indie shopography. Um, I was doing websites for creative entrepreneurs who wanted to start online businesses, and I created um, what I called indie boom projects, and they were six to twelve month long term engagement like website and coaching projects that also often included branding. So I would pull in Braid Creative, Kathleen's branding business, into those projects. So in a lot of ways we kind of were creating a little business together like with our two businesses and these indie boom projects um but again for us like we were kind of over client work like at that point whatever we could do to sort of start getting out of client work um so we had thought about doing like indian braid and just very beginning conversations of wouldn't it be easier if we were just doing the same thing um but it really ended up being like Kathleen's partner is her sister, 
Tara. And so like they have braid and it's a magnificent thing all on its own. And then I have indie shopography, which is his own thing and magnificent all on its own. Um, so being boss was going to be this sort of like marketing funnel that would get us projects um, in our own businesses, but it was something we could do together under its own umbrella. There was not going to, there was not going to be any confusion of branding, um, but it was going to work out really great. And um, it did, it worked out really great, but we were done with client projects. I think, I think <laughs> a lot of the people on the side project accelerator and I know Sigi and I can uh, completely understand that mindset, wanting to get out of the day-to-day -day grind and away from clients. Definitely. Right. Ooh, so being boss, it ended up becoming that platform for us where we could actually see ourselves getting out of one-on-one -on -one projects, um, in which case the total purpose of the podcast changed. It was no longer, it was no longer built to get us one-on-one -on -one projects. Um, Braid still does one-on-one -on -one projects, but Indie Shopography does not. Um, mm. Now we have digital products that we want to sell much more or also like the clubhouse, the Bean Boss offering. Um, so this, the purpose of the podcast changed a little bit, but uh, but what it is hasn't really. But at the end of the day, the podcast is still your kind of like a community funnel. Yes. And now instead of funneling people to your businesses, your respective uh, personal businesses, you're, you're funneling them to buy your own products that you're making together. Yes, exactly. Cool, okay. Uh, so let's get into the first question we have here from Adir, mm -hmm. and the question is, how do you split your time between being boss, your own blog, and indie shopography? Carefully. Very, very <laughs> carefully. Um, Kathleen and I are very mindful consistently that we do each have our own businesses. So we really try to, um, try to like schedule marketing calendars and things so that whenever we do have to focus really hard on being boss, it's followed by time where we can go back and focus on our individual businesses. Um, I recently did this. I launched a rock your web design business as an indie shopography product, which is how I am teaching other web designers how to build a solid web design business for themselves. And I spent two months creating marketing, doing all of the things and like kind of stepping away from uh, being boss a little bit to do that, followed by a really hard uh, being boss push, which has been getting ready for um, the new clubhouse launch, um, getting all of that set up and scheduled and ready to go. So it really, it's a lot less about doing them at the same time, but being really capable of looking at a three or six month plan and know when I'm going to be able to focus on the individual things. Um, and that's worked out really great for us. And in terms of my own blog, like that's just been, I was actually talking to my team this morning about how can we streamline that even more. And I think it's just going to become my newsletters that I write once a week are going to like start becoming blog posts. So instead of, instead of having to write even more content, um, making it into, um, or making it into something where I'm working smarter, not harder, like that content can go to my blog as well. Um, so it's a bit of a mix of like just looking at the overall and seeing how it is you can work smarter, not harder. Um, and also knowing how to manage your time in terms of like being able to block out sections of time where you're focusing on one or the other. Definitely. And that sounds like an awesome repurposing of the content to go from the newsletter to the blog. And right? Definitely. Smarter, not harder. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> um, so on the subject, still on the subject of the time that you're splitting, uh, so how does it work out between you and Kathleen when you, let's say you say, I'm going to take this month or this week and I'm going to work on my own personal thing. Um, is that something that you guys have arranged beforehand or how does that kind of like 
partnership dynamic work when it comes to scheduling your time? Yeah, more or less. I mean, um, again, we've laid out at least the next six months, roughly the next 12 months of marketing of like, all right, mm. Braid's going to be launching their e-course, Indy's launching our e-course, then the clubhouse is open. So like we know what things are um, or when things are falling more or less. And that helps guide us with, you know, we know when we're going to be creating things. Another, another thing that makes it really easy is that I'm actually super involved still in what Braid does. So because okay. like I built their website um, and we still manage the website whenever it comes to what Braid has going on, I'm in on that too. So Kathleen mm. knows like if Braid's having a launch, I'm not working on being boss either. I'm on Braid as well or else that stuff wouldn't go. Um, so it really, we, we're hand in hand kind of seriously with everything that we do. And so it just kind of works out really well. Um, but, but it is also something where uh, like right now we're really good about designating roles for the past couple of weeks. I have been super focused on getting the clubhouse launched. So doing marketing calendars, making sure the team is going to have social written and that Kathleen has sales emails written so that I can load them into convert kit. Like it's, that's been my focus. Um, her focus has been writing some of the sales emails and things, but also getting a book proposal done. And like, I have some tasks that I have to do in that as well, but she really is in charge of that book proposal thing. So we are really good about laying things out, knowing what our roles are and just sort of, and meeting deadlines. Like we are very focused on timelines um, because if not, we would not get all of our things done. So we use Asana to schedule everything out. Everything has really great deadlines. Um, and we just are in it consistently together. And that makes it all flow together pretty good. Awesome. Do you have any more tips for laying out such a long-term plan? I think that's something that I know that uh, Sagi and I definitely uh, struggle with and I'm sure everyone else too, you know, like you said, a 12 month plan sounds uh, like a dream to me. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, and it's, it's, it's kind of dreamy, um, but it's also, it's very vague. Like we don't go too hardcore into it. Uh, we have a vague calendar for the next 12 months. We're literally, we, we January, February, March, April, write down each month of the year, and then write down the thing that you'll be launching or working on or whatever it is. So our calendar um, is 12 months, and pretty much every quarter we're doing a Brave eCourse launch, a rock your web design business launch and a clubhouse launch. And then we just repeat that for every, for every quarter of the year. And, um, and so just keeping it that simple. And then every month we can go in knowing that the focus is like getting braid launched or getting indie launched or getting like the clubhouse launched or whatever it is. Um, so super simple. And then once we get to that month, that's when we we'll really start breaking it down into all the little things that need to be done. And once you get like the first round of all of those things done, you just repeat the system every single time. We use Asana for that very heavily where, um, you know, like what does the marketing schedule for something look like? Someone has to make a marketing schedule. Someone has to task out like who's writing the Facebook post, mm -hmm. who's making the graphics and then just assign and go. And even if you're just working with yourself, like I did the entirety of uh, Rock Your Web Design Business all by myself. My team was sort of scattered about doing things. So I did the entire thing alone. So I still get the solopreneur thing, even though I do have a team. Um, and it was a sauna, like having that, coming up with like even an arbitrary timeline of what it looks like and just tasking out every single thing that needed to get done and doing it. Um, Asana really helps me keep my head wrapped around all of those things. 
Cool. It's such good advice. We're always kind of playing between should we be more scheduled? Should we have things more rigid or should we be like, you know, the creatives that are kind of just going with their passion and what comes up that day. But I think we're leading towards uh, you have to get some sort of schedule down. So now we're really looking for like those yes. tips, how to actually get it done. Yeah, like, yeah. I think for us or for me and Kathleen holds this, um, holds this as well and our entire team, cause we are all super creative. Like there's a reason why we are doing all these fun, crazy, awesome things. Um, but it's the boundaries that actually get it done. Like without mm. a really hardcore implementation schedule, like we would be starving artists. Like <laughs> I completely understand <laughs> the necessity of, of having to have some structure so that you have, you have some freedom within it to be creative, but things actually get done as well. Cool. And so you mentioned that the Being Boss uh, Clubhouse registration opens up once a quarter, right? Mm -hmm. So can you get into that some more? Um, like exactly how you decided once a quarter, how many people you let in, how much does it cost? Yeah, all the things. So Clubhouse is really exciting for us. And we're, we've just done a little bit of an overhaul of the structure of it, which has us like newly excited about what it is. Um, actually, maybe maybe for the people who don't know, you can just explain what the Clubhouse is. At of first. course. I should have asked that question first. <laughs> so the Clubhouse, um, so Being Boss podcast is really like, we just have the most amazing community. And Kathleen and I are so lucky and amazed by all of them. Um, and the Clubhouse really came about because we started a Facebook group and the first, you know, 100, 200 people that were in there, there were people who came to our first vacation and the people who were like really closest to us for the longest time um, got in there, loved it, like found, finding their community. And then the Facebook group blew up. Like, mm. I think at the moment we have over 15,000 people in there, which is amazing and awesome. And it's, it's a really great community as well. But those first people really wanted a more, a more intimate place to hang out and to chat with each other online and to keep the conversations going that were happening either in the Facebook group or on the vacations or whatever it may be. So um, so we started a Slack group and we were charging them not very much. I think the first time we launched it, we launched it at 10 bucks a month. And then the next time we launched it, we launched it at 30 bucks a month. Um, and the Slack group actually became probably more annoying and noise filled than the Facebook group. Okay. So Kathleen and I decided to overhaul it. Like we didn't want to create another noisy channel of just like chatter. We wanted to give our people a way to really focus and do the work and become really great at their online businesses and do those sorts of things. So um, next week we're relaunching Clubhouse. We've already launched it to the people already in the Clubhouse. We're launching it to everyone next week where it's becoming <clears throat> becoming more of a like mastermind sort of engagement um, where we're allowing 25 people in at a time. They have to go through a two day online retreat where we get really clear about goals and those sorts of things. And then they get 12 months of access to an online community, which we're not housing on Slack. Um, <clears throat> something better suited for communities and um, they get monthly pod like secret episode, secret podcast episodes, monthly master classes, and then just sort of ongoing, um, ongoing support from Kathleen and I, but also the entire community. So that's what the clubhouse is now. Um, we're launching it every quarter 
because people really want in, which is fantastic. And we want to give them lots of chances to, um, but we've decided to do it quarterly because we don't want to always be in launch mode. Like we don't want to yeah. always be selling the thing. So we decided to open it up quarterly and we'll do quarterly pushes. So once every quarter we have like a marketing schedule of some sales emails and some social media things. Um, and also putting them in like podcast ads and those sorts of things to get people into the clubhouse. So we're only selling once a quarter, which makes us feel better. Like I don't, want to be consistently pushing something. Um, it also allows us to really focus on getting people in during that time, which is really exciting to me. Um, and then we can onboard those 25 people. Um, and we also did it because we're doing some, we're doing some masterminding and some coaching with Taryn Gentilly. It was fantastic. Um, if you guys don't know who she is, definitely go check her out. Um, and she, gave us a nice little nice little bit about how people on your list are only there for about three months. You like the general mm -hmm. lifespan of a subscriber is three months. So if you're not selling something to them, like selling something once a quarter, you're missing out on people who aren't there during a launch cycle. So okay. people will get on your list wanting to buy something. That's why they're on. They're interested in what you're doing. But if you're not selling something often enough, you're missing out on some new customers. So that's part of it as well. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, yeah, we're we're also trying to figure out our MailChimp stats more clearly and like really mm -hmm. dive into the uh, subscriber statistics. But three months sounds like spot on for what we're seeing too. Good, um, yep. Adira is asking in the chat, uh, how much are you charging for the new clubhouse? Sure. So the new clubhouse is now $300 a month for a year. So we've super upped the price, but the engagement is so much better. Like what we were charging people for before was literally just access to, the, to a Slack group. And mm -hmm. um, where Kathleen and I will jump in if someone mentions us, but not something that we were really engaged with because um, it got big and noisy. Um, okay. But... <clears throat> This is really going to cover that two day, like super intensive retreat, um, and then more engagement from us throughout the year. And we're really excited, really excited about what we're doing, but also this price point, because as it stands, being boss is still not my and Kathleen's full-time gig. Like there are reasons also that we're still in Braden Indie is that we haven't gotten being boss to a place where it can fully support both of us. Um, okay. So the clubhouse in a lot of ways will become our job which is really exciting to us. And this price point will help it actually become our job. Cool. Can, can you, uh, do you mind getting into some of like income numbers and stuff so we get an idea of what, sure. what things are making money, how much, what's the kind of the breakdown? Yeah, so, <clears throat> sorry, I have a, I'm gonna mute this. <laughs> okay, so um, yeah, sure. So at the moment, our sponsors are our biggest income. Um, and I am horrible at numbers. We have a David for that. He takes care of all of that. <laughs> um, but at the moment, our, the bulk of our income comes from sponsors. And so right now, FreshBooks is our only sponsor. We um, Acuity left us for a quarter because they wanted to see what would happen uh, with their numbers. If they left, they're coming back next quarter, so we'll have our two sponsors. Um, and up until up until the launch of the clubhouse, it was really our only revenue stream. Whenever we lost Acuity uh, because they wanted to take a quarter break, we realized how horrible that was. How we really needed to diversify some income streams and not have the main bit of income that supports our team and um, and us a lot as well. Um, couldn't just be from one stream of revenue and it be a business mm -hmm. that can make a decision at any point in time. So um, that's when we decided to launch the clubhouse. We launched that in spring. Um, and that has been probably 
maybe after the last launch in July, probably became about 25% of our income. So a good chunk, but not a good enough chunk. Um, whenever we start the clubhouse and really get that in full swing as it is, as it will be next week, um, I expect the clubhouse to become 80% of our income. That is totally our goal. And then we're able to put all of our time and energy into those engagements and sponsorships are just something that can come and go. We don't have to like hurt for companies to sponsor us. Um, so for us, it really has been about looking at our numbers and how much we need to make, how much we want to be making, how much we need to support our team and ourselves, um, and really designing a business and a model that will fit those those revenue goals. Um, whereas before, we were just kind of taking money as it came in and how we could do it. We, Being Boss is only a year and a half old, and it's a business model neither of us have ever been in. So it's been total trial and error to find out how things work. Um, but we've been really intentional over the past six months of designing a business that will have us reaching our goals with as much ease as possible, but without, without doing anything bad to the value that we're giving. If anything, our value is going way up. Yeah, definitely. It really sounds like it. I mean, especially if you're if you're going away from the advertiser model a little bit, which I think a lot of people um, kind of feel that's where you can kind of decrease your value if you start putting ads in your newsletters and in your podcast and like overdoing it, you make more money, but you're definitely taking value away. But the clubhouse sounds amazing yeah. and good luck with that. I mean, it sounds like you guys are, are set for like, for an awesome lunch. Yeah. Oh, we are. And I'm super grateful for it. And that's, that's been one of our, one of our like hardcore business model truths and beliefs is that like, you just give it all away. Like being boss is a business model that is based on giving it all away. We All of our content is free from all of our podcasts and minisodes and blog posts and webinars and all the things that we do so that whenever it has come time for us to create the thing that we needed to create, um, everyone was just ready to buy, which has been like they're, now they're very excited and engaged and want to give us their money because we've given <laughs> so much value to them over the past year and a half. Um, so we've really found a sweet spot with getting in, getting really comfortable with giving the content away, finding out what content resonates the most, focusing on that, and then creating an offering that really, uh, really dives deeper into like, their biggest struggles. Awesome, mm -hmm. awesome. Um, let's go, actually, we have another question I saw down here related to, uh, m the income as well. How long did it take you to turn a profit from being boss? So you kind of, you touched on already how you're making money in the sponsorships, but when did that first start? Um, sponsors came probably two or three months in. So FreshBooks actually contacted us. Kathleen and I were not ready to go after sponsors. We had set a deadline for ourselves that we were going to get. I don't even remember, like X number of podcasts done before we even tried to go after sponsors. Um, but about between episode 10 and 15, uh, and we do one every week, so 10 to 15 weeks in, um, FreshBooks got in touch with us and someone in their office had started listening to Being Boss and had spread it around and they wanted to sponsor us. Um, and because Kathleen and I completely believe in bootstrapping as much as possible, like we turned a profit relatively immediately. I mean, except for um, team hours, which even then we weren't even using team hours. Like it was only Kathleen and I working at that point. I was editing it. Kathleen was doing all the graphics. Um, she did the branding. I did the website. So like we had no money in mm -hmm. uh, being boss, just lots and lots of experience in our own personal time. Um, but it was around between weeks 10 and 15 that FreshBooks came 
us. Um, they started sponsoring at a very low price point. Kathleen and I went into that meeting thinking, all right, we're going to do this number. And it was like less than half of that. They were like, oh, let's just get started. And we're like, okay, fine. Um, so, and then in July, so seven months after, because we launched in January of 15, it, by July, we were getting on a phone call with FreshBooks to do like a quarterly renewal or something. And they were so blown away by that, their numbers. Kathleen and I went to that meeting as well with a number like, all right, we're ready to get, I don't even remember how much it was. I cannot even remember. Um, but we're going to go for this number. And they went higher than us. They were like, wow. actually, we think we, you need this. And we're like, yeah, you know what? You're right. That's right <laughs> on the road. Totally we right? So, um, so because our tribe was so into what we were creating, the conversion rates for them was spectacular. And they like the conversion rates were better for us than many of their larger podcasts. Like it was spectacular. So, um, so at that point we really got comfortable with like bringing in the team. Kathleen and I stopped doing the editing and like all the graphics ourselves, and our teams started coming in so we could start putting money into like having someone else do some of this stuff so that we could focus on other things. Um, and then we did our boss vacation, our first boss vacation in October of last year. And that for us was really, Kathleen and I wanted to go to New Orleans and we're like, ah, oh, but let's have some bosses come with us. And so we decided to, um, to invite 75 listeners to come with us. Um, I think the tickets were 250 perhaps. Um, and we got like a hotel and an event space to a live podcast recording um, and we filled it up and they all came and we didn't really make any money on that either. Um, it, it really was just about seeing how we could do this and what making money in this project would be like. Um, only, only I think whatever QE signed with us and we had two sponsors going at once and we actually felt like we were making money and Kathleen and I, and I could start drawing a paycheck. Um, but even then, like once Acuity left, we realized, no, we're going to bank on ourselves. Like we have to create this offering. Um, so I really think good profits going to be coming over the next couple of months where uh, we have the clubhouse launched. Um, and we're filling it up and just monthly recurring income sort of thing. Um, but pairing that with the sponsors that we have, I think that's a year and a half or a year and three quarters, I think is when we'll really be comfortable in the profit. That we Very cool. Very cool. That's awesome. Um, okay. So let's, uh, talk a little bit about more about audience building. Mm -hmm. Um, and I notice you're, you're pretty active on Instagram and I want to know what social media are you using most today and what do you see the most benefit from? Sure. Um, so yeah, I use Instagram. I'm, I don't like social media. <laughs> I'm going to be one of those people where social media just makes me tired. I don't use Facebook. I have a Facebook account. Um, I always swore that once my mom joined Facebook, like I was going to quit it and she joined it a couple of years ago. And I was like, but now all my photos are on it. Um, uh -huh. so I'm one of those people. So most of the social media that we do is all automated. I completely believe in automating your social media. So you don't have to think about it. Like I have other things to do. Um, so I use Edgar meet to do all of my social media. Um, 
automation and I just create buckets of content. I load it all in and it just goes. So a lot of my audience building is in that. And I, we do some good, I love metrics. Like I'm a numbers girl all day long. So we will go into Edgar occasionally and look at what the most engaging posts are. How can we replicate that content? Like how can we do more of that kinds of content? So there are some strategy things going on there. It's not just scheduling up content and watching it go. Um, but Instagram is the thing that I personally enjoy doing the most. And for me, I just see that as a personal art project. Like okay. it's not even something that I, 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 I don't even reply to people's questions. Like I'm the kind of person who on that, like yay community high five, but I just want to post my photos and go. Um, whenever it comes to me, um, whenever it comes to growing audience for me, it's much more about those one-on-one -on -one engagements. Um, so where I really feel like my magic in, um, in growing an audience is, you know, replying to the emails that people send me whenever they're replying to like my newsletters that I send out, like those like, oh, this is such great content. Like that's where I put my energy. It's much more in those one-on-one -on -one engagements than it is the one-to-many. Whenever I'm at a conference or something, like I'm the person who's going out to dinner with a group of people every single night. And I'm a total introvert and not even like a person who does those sorts of things um, on the regular. But whenever it comes to my crowd, like I want those like face to face, one on one, real engagements. Um, or it's super cultivating what we call our wolf pack. Um, okay. And that's our really tight knit group of people. Um, I like to schedule Skype dates a couple of times a month with, you know, readers who have sort of become friends who like sent me that email once and we replied and started talking about God knows what um, or whatever it may be. I like getting on those Skype calls and then sort of leveraging those relationships. So whenever it comes time for me to launch something using their audiences to help me promote things. So it's, for me, it's less about growing huge numbers, like just blasting it all out and really cultivating the super tight knit um, relationships and then leveraging those when and, when and how I need. Um, Cause those like, those like hundred people who are my biggest fans and really who are my friends because I've, I've put so much time and energy in those relationships. Um, that's what's, had me going far more than that 15,000 people Facebook group that I can't even go into. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely can understand. Um, can do you have any advice on, on exactly, are, are you really scheduling these things or exactly how to cultivate these type of one-on-one -on -one, um, meetings and experiences? Yeah, so, oh, a couple actually. Um, one, one thing that I've been doing for years that I love doing, and I started doing it when my list was really small, like maybe 300 people or so, was I started doing three and 30, which um, in my little crowd, um, it's the, it's free coaching calls that I do. It's 30 minutes where they can come to me and ask me three questions um, about anything. Like, and most of, most, most of it's pretty like related, but occasionally I'll have one that's like, you know, how do you like, Sometimes it's more like personal related, like family, like how do I balance work life, those sorts of things. But usually it's very focused on online business, which is my expertise. Um, and those relationships are huge. So 30 minutes giving someone the chance to get on the phone with me for free. Um, I usually release three of them a month. And they're some of my favorite things that I do. I love them. I can get on, answer some questions, give someone some really good value, do a little follow-up email, tell them to check in with me. I check in with them occasionally. And I use contactually, um, C-O-N, uh, I'm typing in here for you because it's a hard one. Okay. Contactually.com. Um, it's a 
CRM kind of, it's like a follow-up manager. Um, I can put everyone in like three and 30 bucket and then it reminds me to follow up with them occasionally. Um, those people end up buying from me later because I gave them so much value in that 30 minute phone call that if I release something, obviously they're going to buy it. Um, or they end up coming to a conference that I'm at and we end up meeting in real life and they become friends um, or whatever it may be. Like that's my favorite tactic. Those three and 30 phone calls that I do are my favorite things that I do. And I've done them for years. The first time I, the first time I launched them, it took me three days to fill up three spots, like multiple emails. Now, like within three minutes, they're all gone. And I have like really? angry emails from people who want, who want in and didn't get in. <laughs> um, so it started out really slow and it was very underwhelming in the beginning, but now, I mean, it's in, even that it's still my favorite thing that I do. So that's number one, that's turning like just cold followers that, you know, are just on your list or whatever into like one-on-one -on -one connections, um, which is really powerful. And then the other one is just getting in touch with people that you admire. Um, I've had a couple of people do this to me who have become friends. I've done it to a couple of people. It's become, uh, and they become friends where um, I'll never forget how this guy emailed me once. It was the sweetest email, sweetest email. I was just like, you know, I see what you're doing online. I think it's totally rad. Like I know that working on your own can be a little disconnecting, but just know someone sees what you're doing and they think it's rad. And I was oh. like, you know what? Like that, can we talk? Like, I just want to talk to you. So we got on Skype together and we've Skyped a couple of times. Um, and like, I know where, uh, I don't like know where he lives. He's, from where I grew up close, like nearby. Um, so we were able to connect on a couple of different things. And now whenever I'm launching something or whenever he's launching something, we send it to each other and we share it on our social media. Um, so just reaching out to someone is a way to do it and then making it a priority. Um, I have a friend who lives in Australia. Love the internet, love the internet. Um, I have a friend who lives in Australia she was a listener to the podcast, sent me an email one day, like one of those like, hey, I see what you're doing. It's totally rad. We've Skyped once a month for the past like eight months and like business bestie kind of stuff. Like we, she, she's asked me about how we like Slack for our community because she's thinking about moving her community to it. And I was like, don't do it. <laughs> I guess Slack is great for lots of things, but not so much always community management. Um, and so, I mean, it's a priority. Once a month, we make the Skype dates um, and we're really valuable to each other. Um, and we send each other stupid articles we find online. And I have a couple of relationships like that. So um, starting out with just like cold free coaching calls or free chats with whoever is a really great way to nurture your email list and to gain some of those connections. Um, but also just reaching out to people who you admire and then making those relationships a priority. Um, because now if I launch something, I can send it to my friend in Australia and she can send it to her Australia crowd and I'm an international boss. And that's pretty cool. <laughs> and also I like that it seems like everything you're doing, you're not waiting until you have um, some specific product that you want to launch and saying like, okay, quick, let's now make some relationships or let's make uh, have these one-on-one -on -one calls or something. You're really playing what it seems like, at least from what I'm hearing, you're really playing the long game. You're really like uh, building the audience, even though you don't know exactly that this person from the three and 30 uh, is going to buy something or you have something to even sell them right now. Is yeah. Correct. Yeah, definitely. Total long game, the longest game. Um, and I think that like whenever you're building something like this, when you're building a personal brand or like a life business or whatever you want to call it, um, you have to, if you're not, you're playing the short game 
and you're not going to win. Um, Kathleen was longing for me. Like she actually, she was one of those people who were like blog buddies. Like we were commenting on each other's blogs back in the day. Um, it turned into a Skype phone call and now it's, you know, multimedia conglomerate. Mm-hmm. You never know where those relationships are going to go. Definitely. Um, okay. So let's go into this question. Um, so you talked about it a little bit, but at the beginning, uh, when you're first trying to grow your audience, do you have any tips for people who are just starting out today, uh, how they can grow their audience and exactly what, you know, listed so many things already on this, on this, uh, crowdcast, but what are the things that they can focus on today? Um, I think it's still the one-on-ones. I think it's like just getting on Twitter, scrolling through whenever someone says something snarky on their Twitter that you like, it's replying to it with some funny emojis that you appreciate their snarky humor, um, or whatever it is. And whenever, like, even whenever you think back of like all the people that we've recorded with on the podcast and those sorts of things, it's really around that. It's about starting, starting small with the one-on-ones. Um, even like back in my Etsy days, it was like three or four other shop owners that, you know, similar or dissimilar products um, where we were just talking shop basically um, and giving each other advice on things. And those people turned into my first website projects Um, and some of my first listeners to the podcast, like those relationships are still around, but it all, it starts with those like super minute one-on-one engagements um, and like just cultivating those. And then beyond that webinars, webinars (laughs) and that takes us right into our next question give us tips on webinars how do you use webinars today i love webinars um i like to use them for a couple of things and i'll talk about i think i'll talk about rock your web design business for this because this is a good example of how i use them in probably a non-traditional way um so webinars are really great for launching anything or just growing your list like having them blasting out on your social media getting all your twitter and facebook followers onto your list and then giving them some good value. Um, You can use them to launch things. So ending your webinar with, all right, I've given you some great free content. Now you can go buy my thing um, is a great way to do it. I also like, um, Kathleen and I are playing with the idea and I played with the idea previously never really put it into play. Um, And the idea of doing a webinar once a month, just as a list builder thing, like not pitching anything, not selling anything, just another way of delivering free content, but you have Mm -hmm. to pay me with your email address. Um, So, that's just some good general ways I think of using them. For Rock Your Web Design business specifically, I needed to use them because I needed to um, I needed to segment my list. So for years, I'd been growing my list of just online business owners who were in creative fields, like I had interior designers and I had website developers and I had branders and I had like lots of makers. So there's a list of all kinds. Um, but Rock Your Web Design business was the first thing I had ever created that was super niched. So it was only for web designers and developers who were like solopreneurs and wanted to like take their web design business to the next level. Um, but I had a list of all kinds of people. So I used, uh, for Rock Road Design Business, I did a series of three webinars that were super focused on web designer topics. Um, so things like getting good clients, like good web design clients. Um, mm-hmm. I don't remember what the other two were. There were three. And I used those as a way to segment down my list. So sending the, the list of webinars to my entire list and the people who click through and sign up are obviously going to be the web developers and designers. So mm-hmm. I was able to use webinars within my own crowd to really get specific about who were the people that I was selling to. Um, and then I was also able to use them as a list builder. Like I was 
putting them on my Twitter and Facebook to get people into them and on my list as well. But the primary focus was segmenting out my web designers and developers from the rest of my list. And then whenever I launched uh, Rock Your Web Design Business, I had a super, super great conversion rate for that very small segmented list. I wasn't selling to my entire list because it wasn't relevant to most of them. Um, but was able to convert a hefty like, I think four or 5% of that, which usually is one to 3% um, of that segmented list. So I was able to use webinars to get really specific with my crowd um, so that I could better sell what I was selling. That's an awesome technique. Mm -hmm. Now on the subject of segment segmenting your list, um, now, it's like hindsight is always twenty twenty. But do you do you wish that you had um, maybe collected like would it have been better to collect the information up front or is that information not really valid up front and only valued if they actually take the action? No, it is very valuable to have up front. It, it is actually something that we immediately put in play. Um, I had never anticipated stopping doing one on one projects. I mean, not really. Like it was like funnel, like mm -hmm. pipeline dream. Is that what it's the Pipeline dream, maybe. Um, <laughs> you know, it was something I saw in my distant future, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so um, it hadn't really hit me until I decided to do rock web design business. I wanted to put more focus into being boss. That meant I needed to get out of one-on-one -on -one client projects because that was going to eat up my life until I ended it. Um, and so I needed the thing that it was going to like help me transition from one-on-one -on -one to. Uh, being boss full time. And that thing was packaging up my web design process and selling it to other designers and developers who wanted to run a better, tighter, more structured, streamlined uh, web design business. Um, at that point, I realized I needed that list segmented, but I was ready. Like I needed, I did three webinars because that gave me six weeks. I did one every two weeks. It gave me six weeks to make this thing where I needed okay. to like write it. Uh, get the sales page, the like sales funnel, like all the things. So uh, the the webinars were a distraction <laughs> for everyone uh, to give me six weeks to create the thing. And I pitched it at the end of the last webinar. Um, and at that time as well, I redid my intro funnel, my drip content funnel for my email marketing. The first email is I ask you who you like, what it is that you do. So click the thing that you are, whether you're an artist or a maker or a coach or a web designer. And so now I'm segmenting that list far in advance. Um, but it wasn't until I realized I needed it segmented because I had something to sell to a very small segment that I realized okay. I needed to make that happen. So do it early, do it early. <laughs> so even the, the sign up form when you're originally collecting the email, ask the questions there? I actually do it. So in ConvertKit, they do the tagging, which is one of the, I saw a question down there about ConvertKit, um, which is my favorite feature of ConvertKit for sure. The fact that, or the, there's some functionality. If they click a link, they get tagged as something. So instead of doing it in the form, they sign up for any form, like any form on my website, all the forms get drip content. And the first email that goes out to them tells them a little bit about me and then tell me something about you and click the one that you are. So in that okay. email, in the first email, they click and they get tagged as an artist or a maker, or designer, or whatever it may be. Um, so that's where I do it, and I found I found that that works really well. Not everyone clicks through, and but not everyone clicks through, and that's fine. What I'm mostly using that bit as is a really way for me to quickly and easily go into my convert kit and see 
who's in there. So if like my bucket of designers is a lot bigger than my bucket for, you know, makers, then maybe I can make something for designers. And then I can do some webinars to further, further segment and really gauge interest. Um, so it's just one of many tactics to get super good on your segments. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, that's smart. So you say, because one of the things I was wondering is if you put it in your sign-up, if you have a lot of questions in your sign-up form, it can probably decrease sign-up. Yes. So you're doing it mostly in the welcome email. Yes. And then automation, basically segmentation from the welcome email. Yes, exactly. Cool. Really, really nice tactic. Okay. And are, are there other nice features of have you of ConvertKit that you recommend or have you tried other email providers as well? Or I've used them all. Okay. Um, so <laughs> I... I Whenever I was a developer, I love that I can say that now. It's I got rid of my last client. I got my last client ended ten days ago, so now that's the past. <laughs> hey, once a developer, always a developer. Right, right? I know, always a developer. <laughs> I, I caught your one to many reference back there. <laughs> good, good. Um, so no, whenever I was developing sites, and still all of our sites, uh, our client sites are on it. We use Business Catalyst. Um, which is an Adobe product. Um, it's really great. Their support blows. Um, but I love the functionality and I, I use them always like from like six months in until the end. Um, I'm better at business catalyst than their support team is basically the problem. Um, but they have built in email marketing platform and okay. I thought it was really great. Um, one of the things that, and it pushed me off of it because you got 10,000 emails a month. And once you went over your 10,000 emails, you were paying per email. Um, so the functionality was all there and fantastic. And it was all integrated with the website, which I thought was great. But once you're, you know, once your email list gets to 5,000 and you're sending an email once a week, you're doubling what you're allowed. And that can get really pricey. Okay. So um, I went on about a two week journey of testing out every email marketing platform I could find basically. Um, and ConvertKit is the one that I liked the most. Um, there's some things about that I don't love. Um, I don't love that you don't have more editing ability of their email templates. Like you only have one space in your email that you can put text and you can design around it, but you can't put like a little header text or like there's nothing else you can do, which is kind of annoying to me. Um, but everything else is pretty spectacular. It's super easy to use. Um, I heard you say MailChimp a minute ago. MailChimp stresses me out. There are so many options and buttons and things. Um, one of my favorite things about ConvertKit is that it's super simplified, um, which is really great. And I like all the buttons and things, but for email marketing, I actually just send an email and track some things. Um, one of my favorite features is right on the dashboard, you have a big list of all of your forms, all of your email forms, and you can see which ones have the highest conversion rates, just like right there on your dashboard, which I think is really rad. So I can know that like, you know, the one at the top of my website converts higher than one the footer of my website, or the one that promotes this opt-in is converting higher than the one that promotes this opt-in. So it really gives me, as like the website girl who needs like, who needs to know what parts of my website are being the most effective. Um, that really gets me going in a good way. Um, so that's one of my favorite features. And then those like tagging and automations, like being able to tag people that way or to move people from a sequence to a sequence if they click a link. Um, that's all of those things. I love ConvertKit. <laughs> okay. Yeah, awesome. We'll have to give it a try here. And I noticed that a lot of, uh, a lot of, especially bloggers are using it. It seems like that's, they're totally geared towards bloggers. Well, um, 
They do. And I hate that. Like, I hate that they use bloggers. Like, it's content creators. Because I don't yeah. blog. Like, I do one blog a week on the Bing Boss podcast, like on the Bing Boss site, usually. So I'm not a blogger. That is not what I do. And I feel like that's a little alienating to all of us who totally love and use ConvertKit. It's really for content creators. If you want to send out some simple content and have the actions that people take be super actionable, like it's actually segmenting people in your list and those sorts of things, then ConvertKit's pretty pretty key. Um, I do love it a ton. Cool. Okay. Definitely we'll have to check it out more. Um, and so how many newsletters are you currently running? Just the two. Um <laughs> So I have, um, there's the Bing Boss one, which it's all just templated content, excuse me, basically. So there's a Friday Digest email that goes out with all the content from the week. There's a Tuesday email goes, that goes out with like the podcast of the week. Um, so that one's pretty simple. The team runs that. I don't have to touch that very often where I really get into it because really my job is ConvertKit. Like I'm a professional email writer. <laughs> That's really what my job is. I do other things, but email market or emails is what gets me paid. Um, so I'm in ConvertKit pretty consistently there, like just putting in sales emails. So like with Clubhouse coming, we wrote all of our like sales funnel emails and I loaded them all up or with webinars, like getting everyone invited in and then, you know, follow up sales or whatever it needs to be. So being boss is one. And then Indie Tactics, which is my Indie Shopography email is the other one. Um, and I send out an email once a week and I write that one. That one's all me. And then, um, we do a couple of things around that. Um, we're about to start a big toolkits push, I think in November, um, which is a service at Indie Shopography that we offer. Um, so I'll be in there doing that, but it really just is the Bean Boss one, and then Indie Tactics, and then all of the marketing that goes into that. Cool. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> right, I know. Sometimes whenever I have calls like this, I leave and I ask David, who's my like life and business partner, I'm like, when I talk to him like this, I realize how ridiculous my days are. Like all the things that I do and I just write emails all day. Like, so good. This all, these always put, it puts my life and work into perspective for me. Thank you. <laughs> Glad to help with the catharsis. <laughs> right, right. My work is very meaningful. <laughs> well, we just have uh, two more questions for you here. We're almost sure. at an hour. Um, so how do you find guests for your podcast? And and I guess I want to expand on that question a little more to say, I know that sometimes you guys don't have podcast guests on the show and sometimes you do. So can you talk about a little bit um, that decision as well? Yeah, absolutely. So that came from, so whenever we started the podcast, we didn't want to do guests for a while because like we really wanted it to be Kathleen and I, and with the idea that we were going to like find this foundation and this like this rhythm amongst ourselves before we went into getting guests on the podcast. Um, and part of that was also, we didn't like, we wanted to build the podcast. We didn't want to have to rely on all of our guests to be our first, like to bring in our first listeners. We really mm -hmm. wanted it to be us. And we would bring in some guests as we like had our foundation built. Um, so that was a very mindful decision that we made. Um, so it wasn't until several episodes in that we started getting in guests. Um, and part of that was definitely around like having a sponsor and, you know, really needing to up some content, 
like our content game and that sort of stuff. Um, and then also, Kathleen and I get really tired of saying the same things, which I know like in the realm of creating content, like that's just the name of the game. Like you just have to keep saying the same things over and over for it to really get in people's heads. And Kathleen and I will get on like and talk about like content and we're like, haven't we been saying this? Like, why are we, we just renaming the podcast, but we're saying the same things. And that's not really the case, but that's how we feel like talking about. So guests are like a really great way to like, just mix it up for us. Um, but there, we do still like just doing it, the two of us, where, you know, we are just jamming about a topic. Um, it's also something that we've asked our community. We've done a couple of surveys around, like, you know, what kinds of topics do you like the most? Do you like it more when it's in Lane Kathleen or when it's with the guests? And it's pretty 50-50. Like, some people like it more with the guests. Some people like it more with uh, the two of us. So we try to do one episode a month. That's just the two of us. Uh, but then also all of our clubhouse secret episodes are always just the two of us. Um, okay. And then that's about three episodes a month that are with guests. So it really allows us to bring in someone else's expertise, to have something else to talk about, um, to have different um, have different perspectives of the same problem sort of thing. So it really, I think it really adds a lot. But then Kathleen and I do like doing them by ourselves. So we've we found a good, a good balance there of how we do that. And in terms of how we find our guests, um, we began with creating a hot shit 200 list, which is where we literally just sat down together. And it wasn't even 200 people, but it, it's a good little exercise that we do. And we, we talked about it on the podcast a couple of times. It's hot shit 200, where you sit down and you just make a big list of 200 people that you admire or that you'd want to talk to or whatever it may be. And so we did that whenever we launched the podcast and we're talking about what it, what guests we'd like on. We started a hot shit 200 list. And uh, before long, some of them started like emailing us. Like we got Shalene Johnson because I think we had mentioned her in a podcast. Um, and we let uh, one of our like little smart little tactics is um, whenever we mention someone, one of our team members goes through and sends everyone that we mention a mention email. So like, hey, we mentioned you on this podcast. Um, and quite often people will reply and go, well, I want to be on your podcast. So we've actually gotten a lot of guests that way by talking about them um, and then letting them know that we've talked about them and then them replying and saying, well, then I want to chat with you too. Um, Shalene Johnson was like that. It was like Beachbody fame. She did uh, like Turbo Fire and that's just a lot of online marketing stuff. Um, I think we tweeted her or something and she replied saying she wanted to get on the podcast. Um, um, Lisa Congdon, who is like a awesome illustrator, um, we sent her a mention email and she replied back and was like, well, I want to be on the show. And so like now she's on the show and her partner, uh, Clay, is like one of my, she's a cool person. Um, we email occasionally, like one of those people like I've made it a point to continually like stay in touch with. Um, so sneaky little ways like that. And then once we actually got like big enough that we had like numbers and a media kit and that kind of stuff, occasionally we'll do pitch emails um, to people that we really want to talk about, talk to, especially if it's on a particular topic. But we don't have to do that very much because our like our calendar is pretty, pretty long with like bosses in our community that we want to talk to or people who have gotten in touch with us. Um, just nice little serendipitous meetings that we've had. Um, so we don't have to pitch guests very often, but we are prepared to do that when it needs to happen. Okay, very nice, cool. Mm -hmm. um, on the subject of podcasting still, you you mentioned that like your numbers are getting up, but I know one of the things that uh, we struggle with the podcast is that it's pretty difficult to get uh, good statistics on it. 
and good uh, tracking. Can you discuss what you're tracking, how you're getting metrics, and how also from an advertisement, uh, advertiser's perspective, how you know that things are going well? Yeah, so we use Buzzsprout. Um, it's the system that we use to load our podcast in and it creates the RSS feed that goes to iTunes. So that's where okay. all of our iTunes stuff is tracked. Um, and it has okay numbers. So we know how many downloads we have every seven, 14, no, 7, 30, and 190 days, as well as like lifetime. Um, and we also know like top cities and things like that, um, which, and, and advertisers know that we don't have access. So that's mm. also a really nice thing. Like, I think it's just becoming pretty understood that this is what you get. Like, we that's don't know we much more than that. Yeah. And we're also really good. Like, our relationship with FreshBooks is super, like, tied around metrics. Like, Kathleen and I want to know our metrics. So doing lots of, like, link tracking and those sorts of things and then being able to pull conversion uh, reports is really helpful for us. But in terms of podcast downloads, we just use what the system gives us, which is very minimal. Um, but... It is what it is. We also use SoundCloud, which is a little better. We, that one does not RSS to um, to iTunes, but it's the player that we use on our website. So in our show notes, it's the little player that everything is pulled from. Um, and so that gives us a really good idea very separately of who's actually listening on the website. So okay. by having that division, it actually helps us a lot. I think uh, whenever we do full numbers, we have to add both platforms together, which is not that difficult. Um, mm. But that gives us a little more of a handle on our metrics. So we know like who's really listening to the website or our weird SoundCloud listeners. Not that you're weird, you're just not iTunes listeners and that's kind of weird. Um, or if it's Buzzsprout and that really just is iTunes. I think that also might go through Stitcher. That's even in that, like, I try not to get too into it because it is relatively minimal. And if I try to get too crazy about it, it's not going to help anything. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely understand. Um, well, okay, this has been awesome. We're already over an hour here. So I want to let you go. Uh, but we have the last question, which you've touched on a little bit, but maybe there's something mm -hmm. uh, additional you want to add to it which is uh, how do you balance your work life with your family and your private life? Sure. Boundaries, hardcore boundaries. Um, so I'm pretty, I'm pretty good about having a pretty good structured work day. Like I come in here between nine and 10, sit down, do some work. I try to leave at five, um, maybe a little earlier. So I've kind of built myself a nine to five, but I have no problem going out for an hour and a half lunch and just sort of hanging out. Um, but there's some pretty, pretty firm familiar, familial, familial boundaries with like when I'm in this room I'm working. So like mm -hmm. there's a pretty good disconnect between what's happening in my house. Cause we also homeschool. So my kids always here. Mm. <laughs> and um, so there's some really good boundaries around that, but also personal boundaries. Like whenever I'm done in the evening, I'm not checking email. I'm not like, I'm not doing things. Occasionally I have to run in here because someone slapped me and you know, something stupid's happening. I can fix something really fast, but that's, that's pretty rare. I don't work in the evening. So some really good boundaries around like when I'm at work, I'm at work. Whenever work is done, I'm enjoying my life. Um, and there is some overlap. I have no problem. Like, taking a day off, obviously, um, or working in the evening if I have to. Um, so it's knowing that it's okay to break the boundaries too sometimes. Um, but it's just, for me, it's been finding structure. We're talking earlier about like creatives and their boundaries. It's very scary and freak you out. But I've really found some super good like security and like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know, security and 
the ability to actually get shit done by mm -hmm. having some good firm boundaries in my life that um, that allow me to work and focus on work. But whenever work is over, being able to just focus on my life and my family and not work, which is really nice. Cool. Yeah. Sigi likes to call this concept like the switch. Yes. Um, you know, being being present, you know, when you're working, you're working. And when you're with your family, you're with your family. And there's not, you know, you're switching between them and that's it. You're not playing like on both sides at the same time. No, but definitely. Well, and so my, my life and business partner, his name is my baby daddy. Um, <laughs> he, um, he does the bookkeeping and like a lot of like the financial management and like he, he's the one who talks to the accountant and the lawyer. So like he does the gross stuff basically. Um, but there's some really hardcore boundaries with us too. We're like, you know, at the dinner table, sometimes it's really hard not to talk about that invoice earlier or that like, or whatever it is, but like having some hardcore boundaries around like, no, we're not talking about it. Like, especially not the dinner table or if I'm sitting on the front porch, because I can switch it off really easily. And David will come in and like try to talk to me a bit about business and the words are not even going into my brain. Like I mm -hmm. don't even know what he's talking about. So that switch is really important. Like being able to turn it on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I'll look yeah, at him and be so like, are you talking to me? Like, <laughs> I, I saw your lips right now, well. <laughs> right? My business brain is off. Um, uh -huh. So yes, definitely a switch. Like being able to switch it on and off. Also, if I'm working and Lily comes in here and tries to talk to me, like I don't even see her. Like my switch is on. So anyway, yeah, the switch is, it's a thing. Cool. Very cool. Well, thank you so much. I uh, really, really appreciate it. And it's been great to meet you face to face as well. Um, so yeah, this has been awesome. It's my pleasure. This is a lot of fun. Again, thank you for putting things into perspective for me today. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> Glad to help. <laughs> so have a great rest of the day. We'll thank you soon. too. And good luck to everyone. Rock it out. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> Bye. Bye.